Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, a film a week from Two Film Geeks. This week we did The Long Goodbye, starring Elliot Gould and who is that dude? Robert Altman? No, Robert Altman directed it. Very good. 1973. And who was that other guy? That 72. Was or was it 73? It was 73, wasn't it? Okay, yes. And who's the guy, who the actor who we recognize? Somebody Hayden, Sterling Hayden? Sterling Hayden, but I didn't recognize him actually. Well, we did eventually. I still don't know who he is. He was in Doctor Strangelove. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right, that's right. Yeah, we went through this. Anyway, uh, thank you for joining us. This is a spoiler-full podcast, so if you haven't seen this movie and you're one of those people who are like, that movie's been around for uh, 40 years, but uh, I'm going to be all pissed off that you told me what happens in it, uh, don't listen. But do listen, because we want you to listen to us. Just watch the movie, then listen. So anyway, we're joined with our specialist guest, who is El Grando Garizian. Yellow. Yeah, we we kind of just call him Grandy. He's my neighbor. Hey, man. But I wanted to give him a really boxing ring entrance to this. Anyway, he watched the film with us. We waited a long time, but it wasn't really because of him. It was because I was trying to figure out some audio shit. Anyway... Uh, and we've also got Brady. Brady, Brady, Brady. Brady, I'm here. Oh, Brady Larson. Uh, so anyway, you want to give us a little just uh, plot spiel? A plot spiel? Okay, let me, let me see how I can do, because this is my first time seeing this movie. And it's actually my first Altman, which is funny, because I know a lot of, like, or I've heard a lot about what Altman's about. So it was kind of my first time seeing a lot of his tendencies. Which is funny because I don't get the feeling that this is like the most super Altman-y of Altmans. But, uh, but yeah, so that was interesting. I mean, we did have a lot of the sound thing that Altman's known for. And a lot of the very long shots and zoom lens shots, which are uncharacteristic of Hollywood. And uh, we did have a little bit of diving into the seedy uh, underbelly of Americana, which Altman was also known for. So it's pretty Altman-y Altman. It wasn't a blockbuster. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so plot synopsis. This is uh, a Raymond Chandler story, an L.A. detective noir story, which at this point is pretty much its own genre unto itself. <laughs> These movies like... What, Raymond Chandler movies? Yeah, Raymond Chandler movies. Uh, even something, you know, I mean, his own movies have been made into hit films. like. Well, Leigh Brackett wrote it, and she, 20 years earlier, had written The Big Sleep, which is how I was introduced to this film, because I had to do a paper on something that was... I forget what the assignment was. But anyway, I watched Big Sleep, remake of The Big Sleep, and The Long Goodbye, and I read a couple of Raymond Chandler books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even uh, movies like, you know, <laughs> big favorites like The Big Lebowski obviously owe a lot to this. Because um, I, I get the feeling it's not just, I, like, I know that the noir itself predates Chandler. I feel like what Chandler does that's very unique is... These are noirs that are specific to the city of Los Angeles. And in that way, they're noirs that are also about making movies. Well, the remake of The Big Sleep was set in Britain. Uh, I mean, other than that, it was just totally followed the book, but it was set in Britain instead. 
Well then. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> just to be a point shitter and shit on your point. <laughs> well, it's certainly in the case of this movie. Uh, I because we'll get to that later, but I feel that more than anything, this is a movie about Los Angeles itself. Uh, so basically, there's this detective Philip Marlowe. He's very self-effacing, kind of a weary sort, and he's a private eye detective in L.A. Played by Elliot Gould. P- played by Elliot Gould. And <laughs> we're, we're really going to get through a plot synopsis in under two minutes this time. We swear to God. <laughs> okay. Go, 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 go. Uh, you've only, you're only at four and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's this detective and his friend, Terry Lennox, comes to him in the middle of the night and says, my wife's dead and I'm in, you know, I'm in a big pot of hot water. I need you to drive me to Tijuana. He doesn't say his wife's dead. Oh, wait, is the wife not dead at that point? No, he doesn't say the wife's dead. He says, there's a big problem. There's going to be a lot of questions on the account of my wife. So we don't know why we, we just... Okay, that's right. So he drives his friend to Tijuana. And after that, when he gets back to Los Angeles the next day, it turns out that the woman is dead. Uh, and Well, he gets picked up by the cops. He gets questioned by the cops. Then he goes through this whole thing, and he refuses to tell him anything. And then at a certain point, they go like, you're, uh, you know, your friend killed his wife and blah, 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 um, so forth and so on. Continue. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, it's, it's interesting because... All right, so so essentially what happens, and this is the plot of many noir movies and especially many Chandler-type stories, is this one incident happening pulls him into a world of a, a and this is Altman-esque, I guess, of a big ensemble cast of people who all have their own angles on the crime, who all have their own opinions about who they think did it and why that person they think did it. And so he gets pulled into this world. And, and essentially, at the end, we do find out who committed the crime, but it's really, to me, more about luxuriating in this sinful Los Angeles milieu. Uh, and, and eventually we do find out, I, well, I guess it's a spoilerful podcast, as we've said numerous times, so we do find out that his friend Terry Lennox in the end is the one who did it, and that he's hidden in Mexico and faked his own death uh, to try to escape the charges. But yeah, uh, more than anything, I think this is kind of, you know, Big Lebowski and Pupus. It's about... Uh, someone who kind of views himself as apart from this LA landscape and at the same time is very much a, a product of it, uh, interacting with essentially that culture. And Well, I think we should say that after he gets caught by the cops, he gets released, under which time he has said, well, we don't need you anymore. He's held for three days. And he goes, oh, well, we don't need you anymore. Your friend's dead, blah, blah, blah. And he goes like, A, I don't believe my friend's dead. B, I still don't think my friend killed his wife. Right. Right. So those are the two things that he says. Turns out he's only right about one of them. And uh, the the movie kind of follows the similar noir thing of going, oh, we're going to lead you over this way. Oh, you can think it's going to be this person. Oh, you think it's going to be this person. Oh, it's none of those people. And a lot of times, uh, noirs, they just go, or noir, as I think it's said. Um, but I'm just going to say noir because it's fucking easier. <laughs> I've got to break in here. Well, what I is was, this noir thing you guys speak of? It's a genre. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, and it's that um, it was a seedy night in a dark uh, San Francisco dream, and the smoke was heavy in the air. Uh, there was a beautiful dame who came in and looked me in the eye and said, 
hey there, Buster. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> and I said, just fine, my lady, but uh, just fine without you all the same. And she said, are you sure you don't need some company? And I said, yes, I'm just fine, Buster. Just fine without you all the same. And then she says, you got a cigarette? And before I knew it, I was dragged down a rabbit hole of all the things that this woman could do to me or not do to me, and I didn't care which one it was. All I wanted was another breath of her. Yeah, there's two things when I think of Maureen. I think of smoke, and I think of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's noir. Uh, Anything you that's couldn't like... have explained it more perfectly, sir. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in a lot of these noir stories, we get a character who's kind of too cool for school, and in one breath kind of views himself as apart from the riffraff because he's drawn into basically a seedy underbelly. You often have characters drawn into worlds that are above their heads. Oh, yeah, man. They're, they're grasping at things that, you know, are more sinister than they thought. And so they view themselves as apart from it. And at the same time, noir heroes usually end up pretty dirty by the end of the narrative themselves. And, you know, they're, they're very flawed kind of anti-hero characters who are our main protagonists, I'd say. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, there's a lot to be said about this film. But first, I would like to do a little segment called Hey, 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 How Do We Like It? So I liked it. Well enough. Grandy? Well, I'm picky when it comes to movies, and I'd say uh, a five. Five out of five? Ten. <laughs> well, okay. If you want a grade, I give it a B plus. All right. Well, the first time I saw this movie, I well, like actually thinking about rewatching it, I was like, I don't think I liked that movie the first time, and uh, am I really gonna like this? Am I showing this to these guys? But then when I watched it, I was like, this is great. <laughs> Elliot Gould is great. He's always just like, like he's fucking around with his cat. Like there's this whole thing with the cat, and he's trying, to <laughs> he's trying to get the cat to eat some food, but he can't get him to eat the food. And then so um, he goes like, all right, you want me to go buy you this brand of cat food because you're a picky cat and you want me to eat this brand of cat food. And he's got the hot chicks next door doing yoga. And I think at one point he says, like, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, they're contorting themselves. Apparently it's called yoga. I don't know what it is. It's called yoga. Okay. And it, that's very L.A. That's still very L.A. today. Yeah, see, right? that yeah. was yeah, – if I could break in, that was like that kind of stuff I loved because – I mean, you know, there there are lots of noir stories of varying quality. What I like about this one is just, uh, you know, I, I didn't think, if I'm being honest... He kind of is a proto-dude. No, no, of course he's a proto-dude. And, and any of the major noir heroes are proto-dudes. Uh, even though I think The Big Lebowski, which, just for the record, I'll say, I think is a better movie. Probably is one of the best noirs ever made, now that we've right, had yeah, time yeah, yeah. to think but about it, it. But he's not a Bogart... He's not a Bogart Marlowe. Like the, the character's name is Philip Marlowe, based on the Raymond Chandler character, the same name. And also a radio show I listened to a bunch of times um, about Philip Marlowe. But he is not a Bogart Marlowe. He's like jovial and just like, everything's okay with me. Everything's fine with me. Like he's totally not the typical uh, noir hero. Noir hero is usually kind of stiff, square-jawed, like, I'll punch you in the face. I know when to strong-arm somebody. I know when to talk quick. I know when to get the hell out of there. Mm. This guy was just kind of like clueless. And uh, I guess he kind of knew when to get the hell out of there at times, but I mean, <laughs> he found himself in some situations he never handled them very well. See, but that was the thing. In spite of, like, you still have, like, the hero stumbling along, which is very noir but what I found kind of interesting, and I'm not sure if this is to the movie's betterment or detriment, 
is this character in comparison to a lot of noir heroes didn't seem that over his head. He seemed like his entire style to me was wry and bemused and apathetic. It's all right with me. It's okay with me. Everything. Because, and there's even like a scene like after he meets pretty much the most violent characters in the movie, uh, these mobsters that come to his house and think that he has an entanglement that's bigger than it actually is. They think he has the money. Oh, is that scene in something else, by the way? I have no idea. Because I saw that scene and I was like, this is so familiar. Anyway, go on. I, I have no idea. But like after they they rough him up, they just completely trash his house, which, you know, echoes of Big Lebowski there. Well, it, they don't rough him up as bad as the cops do, but... Yeah, yeah, but the, but they rough him up. They break a lot of shit in his house, which is something that happens to noir characters, I think, is in spite of their minimal involvement with the case, as they get drawn in deeper, these different types, even people who are against each other, all end up converging on our protagonist and make his life rough. That's a big staple of noir to me. But what happens, though, when he and them exit the security gate? There's this friendly security guard, and he's like, these guys just tore through here. Like, what's up with them? And he's like, it's okay, they're with me. And so for me, what this movie's about, just on first reading, really is about a guy who's both critical and detached about L.A., and yet at the same time, he's committed to it's just awful, sinful, venal cast of characters so long ago that it's like, yeah, th- these are the people I associate with. These right. selfish, kind of self-deluding people. So you give this a B plus, and what you're saying about it totally fits very well with a B plus. Grant, you give it a 5 out of 10? That's an F. Uh... What do you have to say for yourself? Well, I mean, I don't know about uh, directors or who any of the actors in the whole movie were. So I'm not looking at it from that standpoint. Uh, Neither am I. I'm just saying that this movie made my heart smile. Yeah, well, I mean, it had its its nice parts. Uh, I'm not talking about how good the movie is. I'm talking about how how much you liked it. You gave it a 5 out of 10. Why? Thought story wise, it wasn't fantastic. Oh, it was and, it was too middle, twisty, curvy, or the middle part seemed as though it got very convoluted, uh, and I had a hard time figuring out what all of that stuff going on in the middle had to do what with the, hell was the, the beginning right. and the end. Okay. It was yeah. just like, dude, hanging out with people, doing a little of this and that, and watch a few more noirs, and you'll understand that noirs are just like that. Well, a lot of the time, there aren't even endings. They just go like, the guy goes like, well, I don't know what was going on with that case, but I got myself out of that caper, and I took this lovely dame home, and then we drove on down the road and dissolved ourselves of all worries and troubles with that whole thing. Yeah, but I he, couldn't deal with that. Goodbye. But, but he didn't take a lovely dame home. That's true. He didn't. He didn't even fucking like hit on the chicks next door. Just like, <laughs> you want us to make you a brownie? We'll save you a brownie. You want us to make you some breakfast? Oh, we're just contorting over here naked. It was kind of the stark opposite. Like, uh, he had no relations with anyone except for his cat. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the cat is the one who was able to demand the most out of him. It wants this brand of cat food. That's not, that's what it wants, and that's what it's going to get because, uh, well, but then the cat also peaced out on him, huh? Wait, did he not ever find his he cat? He never found his cat in, in, in oh. the plot of the movie, plot being 
Uh, anything we see from start to finish, from opening credits to ending credits. Yeah. That's the plot. And in the plot of the movie, we didn't see uh, him get his cat back. I mean, Maybe in the that story was... of the movie, it's possible that it happened, but in the plot of the movie, it didn't happen. Maybe that's what the movie was really about. The cat? Him losing his cat. Where do you work, movie. Randy? <laughs> Not the same place that you work at. I work at a record store. Where do you work, Brady? All right. Nowhere right now. <laughs> Where How do you do work, you... Randy? <laughs> at a pet store. There you go. Yeah, I mean, okay, so here's something I'll say, because, like, this is something that was brought up recently by Grandy. Uh, and this is, like... Recently, meaning, like, 45 seconds ago, or... Yes. Or just, um, like, <laughs> sometime in the past week. No, no. <laughs> Within this podcast. So, one thing I find interesting is, I thought, like, the Chandler... Uh, well, not Chandler, the the Marlowe character was Chandler very... Bing? <laughs> the, not the, Chandler Bing, okay. Not Chandler Bing. The Marlowe character I found very, very entertaining, and he had lots of very funny, wry lines. I found him an interesting character, but there was a part of me that missed things that I had come to associate with this kind of genre, and he always seemed a little bit more of a cool customer than I'm... Like, there, you know what? What it is, is this movie didn't have the fatalism I was expecting. In fact, in the end, our hero even shoots the bad guy once he finds out it's his friend. So this isn't a doomed character, which is something I come to expect from my noirs. Even if the character gets out alive, they really get roughed up on the way there. Oh, I I think it was a fatalistic sort of view, but I think it was fatalistic from the beginning. And, like, he just didn't care. And then he basically continues to experience things that kind of reinforce his worldview of, I don't care. Like, I can't care. I can't care about this stuff. I can care about my cat. My cat prefers something concrete and specific. I can't care about these hippie chicks next door who are just, like, cavorting all the time and, uh, you know, contorting themselves and just, like, eating a bunch of hash brownies. I can't care about this this drunken author who's, like, you know, just a cliche, like another um, famous drunk author. Uh, Oh, I I found this guy to be a Hemingway. Yes, he's totally Hemingway. Bam. Um, <laughs> like that. Okay, but but okay, so here's this. But I think there's a degree, there's something different that changes in him in terms of his not caring. Because, yeah, that's his catchphrase is it's, it's all no, no, okay no. with me. No, that's the change is that he does eventually end up caring. Like, exactly, it's all yeah. okay until it depresses upon me. Like, once he, once the guy goes in the ocean and he goes in the ocean and he says, I've uncovered it, I've, you know, this woman's... Uh, Husband has just died, even though he was a horrible drunk and a horrible person and blah, 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 and just caused her a bunch of trouble. I have now, because this happened and getting her at the right time, been able to pry out of her the knowledge of this thing. And they're just like, we knew. And he's just like, I want to talk. Oh, this was my favorite thing in the movie, by the way. I want to talk to Ronald Reagan. I want to talk to the governor. I want to talk to somebody. I want everybody to listen to me. God damn it. Right? Ronald Reagan, then at the time governor is who he wanted to talk to. In the next scene, he gets roughed up by three henchmen and that that other dude. Well, mm-hmm. he doesn't get roughed up, but he, you know, he gets basically held hostage by them. One of them being Arnold Schwarzenegger, future governor. Fucking indexical <laughs> in that 
Indexicality for a quick definition. Here's an example of something that's indexical. What I just said, and also uh, a video of something made in 2000, the year 2000 period, of somebody airbrushing the Twin Towers out of the New York skyline and to show how awesome their airbrushing technology is. That is indexical because eventually the two towers were removed. From, yes. So that would be a definition of indexicality. So in this case, Indi I want to see the governor. I want to see Ronald Reagan. Well, you get to see Arnold Schwarzenegger. Even who, better. Yes, who after the time in which this movie was made, unbeknownst to the makers of the movie or the actor or the writer or anybody, became governor. So we got to see the governor in the next fucking scene. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Anyway, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, we are talking about whether or not his identity changed and so forth and so on. And I would argue that it does because he goes, it's well, all, I would too. all okay with me, it's all okay with me until it's not okay with him that everyone's not listening to him. And then he goes, you know what? It is all okay with me. He says it again after that point. He says, it is all okay with me because I'm just going to go take matters into my own can. Uh, <laughs> my own can. <laughs> I'm going to take matters into my own can. Um, no, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to go down to Mexico, find this dude, and shoot him. Yeah, indeed. All right, so he has been changed by this entire thing. Like, what you were saying was like, eh, he's too laid back. He's not driven in and beaten up by it. No, he no. was beaten up by it. He got so beaten up by it that he had to go kill the guy for himself. It's it's not that. It's I, I agree that there's an evolution, but I I don't know. He never seems as in over his head as I typically like from my noir heroes. And, and, you know, coming back to The Big Lebowski, this is what I like. I have is... a reason for that. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Oh, okay. You're just going to let me... I was, I was just putting that out there so you could finish what you were saying. And then... no, no, okay. no, go ahead. We'll get back. Noirs. Noirs are an interesting genre of film because they start to crop up just after a war. Post-war periods are the times when noirs crop up. That's why we haven't seen so many as of late, right? Because we've been in a constant state of war since 2000. But anyway, just past World War One, the alienation of the nation, basically not having an identity anymore because we're not at war. That's why the 50s and all that stuff kind of coined the noir itself, right? Because it was the first time it was possible to have a genre of film that you're creating because before that there wasn't really film right after World War One. Right. Yes. So also a bunch of neo, well, not, not even neo-noir, just noir in 1980s and early, in this case, 1973, uh, right after Vietnam War. But that kind of stretched out throughout there. Stuff like Jacob's Ladder was kind of noir, um, so forth and so on. And then a lot of stuff crops up in 1994, 1995, just after Gulf War I. Uh, Neo-noir crops up in early 2000s, just before, well, late 90s, early 2000s, just before or after the times of uh, you know, our invasion in Afghanistan and so forth and so on. But the first war was cut and dry. So we get beat up, but we come out of it okay, but forever changed. Right? That's the 50s noir. Um, kind of 60s noir after uh, Korean stuff before the Vietnam conflict. Same sort of thing. 70s noir, kind of different. We lost. We, we want to be right. triumphant. And, and that's why he comes at him with a gun. I mean, that's the that's the kind of message of noir in the 70s or, you know, that kind of 
it's not neo noir like Memento, which is definitely neo neo noir, um, versus noir, which is black and white, heavy shadows, high angle shots, definite villains, femme fatales, so forth and so on. Like this is kind of ambiguous in between because we didn't we didn't have an identity. We didn't come out the victor in Vietnam, and we kind of lost our identity as a nation in the seventies. How many people talk about the seventies? How many people say the good old seventies? Nobody. Right? How many people say the good old eighties? Not really anybody. A lot of people say the good old sixties. Oh, a lot of people say the nineties. <laughs> a lot of people say the aughts. But nobody says seventies and eighties. Music and film fans say the good old seventies and the eighties. Who says good old seventies as film people? Seventies is the best decade for film and music. Yeah, music, the seventies and eighties. I mean, I agree that there's a lot of good stuff in there. I'm just saying that people don't pull it out as much no, 70s is the genre for film music you could say the 60s but 70s owns the crown without even anyone coming close except maybe the 50s or 40s sure, throw, throw some hits out there <laughs> the entire young crop of directors that we revere now came up in that, uh, that decade yes absolutely altman scorsese spielberg please throw them out altman scorsese spielberg peckinpah woody allen I mean, there there are a bunch. I don't know if I can name them all, but the '70s is considered to be the uh, height. Of oh yeah, film. there's a lot of a lot of stuff that comes out in film. I'm not saying that there was no culture in the '70s. I'm not saying there was no culture in the '80s. I'm saying, I'm all, just saying there was people... no culture in the '80s. Maybe. The, well, wait. Yes, the '80s definitely... and the okay, '60s. Bowie, for Bowie blew up in the '80s. All right. Film-wise, uh, even though there are a lot of films I love from the '80s, the '80s and the '60s, which I'm going through now, the '60s, and I love the '60s too. Like are considered to be when there were the least amount of masterpieces. The seventies, by a very good clip, has the most. I am not disputing that fact. I'm just saying that people don't say the good old seventies, and they don't say the good old eighties. People normally say the good old sixties, the good old fifties, and the good old nineties. And they're not referring to art when they say it. They're just referring to the state of the nation and how we feel as a nation in our identity. Okay, but then, you know, 60s, you had the Vietnam War beginning, and you had Cold War paranoia. That wasn't such a hot time to be alive. Oh, late 60s, yeah. But, I mean, okay, what I'm saying is we kind of lost our identity in the 60s. We didn't get it back till the 90s. And that's why that's a great time for film. But nobody says the good old 70s. Right, because it's a tumultuous time. It's they're not going like the good old seventies. I wish things were back when it was like when everything was in tumult. <laughs> right? They're they say like I wish things were like it was back in the fifties where everything was cut and dry. Yeah, maybe we weren't PC. Yeah, maybe we we're sexist. It's all hell. But uh, at least I could understand what was going on back then. Like people, yeah, that's what people say. Nobody says like I wish it was back in the seventies when we were in total transition. Right? Like they don't talk about the good old seventies. People talk about the seventies like. Dude, that was a crazy good time. It was pre-AIDS, mid-Coke. That's why people talk about the 70s, but they never talk about the good old 70s. They're talking about the, the crazy times when they're talking about the 70s. Right? It, it, it That's why film was great. That's why music was great. That's why all that stuff was hopping, but they're not talking about the good old... Come on, back me up here, Grandy. <laughs> they're not talking about it because the people that grew up and lived that era are your parents. And they don't <laughs> tell you nothing. They don't want me to know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, my my dad grew up in the fifties and did all that shit in the sixties. But 
and he says good old 60s back when before women's live and i and i i knew first date no problem free dinner you don't have to do anything second date eh, maybe i get to hold your hand free dinner free movies third date now i get to touch you don't say yes to the third date and if you're not gonna let me touch you that's the way my dad always looks at it. And he's just like, <laughs> sucks for you, buddy, because now you got to go hang out in a group. You got to do all this stuff and just kind of like wow her and make her like really like back in my day. First date, free dinner. Second date, free dinner and free movie. Third date, I get to touch you. If you don't want me to touch you, do not say OK to the third date and I will get the message and then we'll just move on and find a girl who wants me to touch her. Those are pretty strict rules you've got there. Those are my dad's rules back in the day. <laughs> As sexist as the time was, I kind of wish that I had... Well, actually, now I don't care because I have a wonderful girlfriend and everything's working out great. But uh, ask me that six years ago, and I would have been like, yeah, fuck fuck it. Fuck, put fucking shit back to the 50s. <laughs> All right. I don't care if it's fucking backward and racist and sexist. I'm fucking back to the 60s so I can just be like, do you want free dinner? Okay, then. Let's go out to dinner, and I can try to convince you to let me get into your pants in about three weeks. <laughs> anyway, um, well, anyway where were we? let, let's bring it back, because uh, I do think it's interesting. Um, in fact, I'm excited about this. I knew this before we started the podcast, and I was excited as soon as I realized it. We've got three opinions all over the map on this movie. One sounds like ecstatic review. I I just loved it. I I loved the dude. It was fun. It was cool. And I don't. Yeah, it's not. It's not a noir, and it's not a neo noir. It's just in between, which is cool. There's got to so be a gradient. You from would say it's old not even a noir. No, I said it's not noir. It's not neo noir. It's somewhere in between the two. Oh, okay. Oh, be- between noir and neo noir. Okay. Yeah, there's a gradient in the noir art scale, and since this is seventies noir, it doesn't quite. I mean, this is like blow up territory, right? Which. I think it's 80s. Blow up? Wait, Antonioni? Oh, no, 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 no. Blow out. Sorry. Oh, blow out. And not Antonioni. Blow out. The one with John Travolta, who's the, the, the sound guy with a hypercordia uh, telescopic mic. I don't think I've seen it. Oh. Yeah, blow up's really cool, too, though. Antonioni is really interesting. Anyway, uh, blow out. Yes, it's like blow out. It's like uh, parallax view, which is kind of, that's kind of more. Anyway, but stuff. wait. But, right. yeah. Let's stay focused on the movie. Because I'd like to do maybe like, let's give everyone a spiel. Because we've got one ecstatic review. In the middle of the gradient. That is my ecstatic review. I like things in the middle of the gradient. All right, that's fair. And on my part, I give it quite a positive review. I like noir as a genre. Um, And I I thought it was interesting, even though I thought the story as a noir story maybe was a bit short of some other noir stories I've seen. And then we've got Grandy says... I say I thought that the main character was very interesting, and I liked his style a lot. Uh, but what the fuck was going on? <laughs> yeah, to a point. I mean, I I don't didn't recognize it as a noir as uh, as you guys do in your more educated uh, experiences. Hey, man, you can tell and me thus... I'm bullshit all you want. You don't need to call me educated. <laughs> Uh, As I sunk $40,000 into a film theory education. Apples and oranges, sir. <laughs> All right, so we've got you, positive, but eh, I don't know. Me, 
Gradient? Yeah, it's in the gradient. That's really cool. I love that. And you, like, what the fuck was going on? But also, I like the character. Exactly. All right. Great. We were going to come back with a discussion from those three viewpoints right after this. Do you want free dinner? Okay, then. Let's go out to dinner, and I can try to convince you to let me get into your pants in about three weeks. <laughs> uh, I think we should probably get back to the movie. Yes. Okay, so... <laughs> I liked it because I thought Elliot Gould was very effervescent and fun and just kind of like going with the flow, man. It's cool. And then, oh, wait, now it's not cool because justice must be served and I'm going to shoot this fucker at the other end of this uh, long road to Mexico. Okay, so, and I have my own opinion on that because, and this probably places me exactly where I belong in the high mid-range. Where do you belong? I'm in the high mid range, the B plus. Where do you belong? Uh, the mid range is B. I'm still trying to figure out what the high mid range even is. It's a uh, higher than C grade on this movie. You're at F, right? Fifty percent. Oh no 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 no! Uh, F, uh, the star rating system is different than the. Say so you're at C minus. No, I would give it a B. Oh okay. Well, five stars to me, I was just like, fuck. It's uh, like you barely did half the assignment. You barely made a film. Uh, or you is... made half a film. That's how much of a film you made, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so that when I heard five out of ten stars, I was like, really? This is why uh, I stay out of the star thing. Is that I've been through years of education. One upside of that is I can grasp a C, a C plus, and a B minus. So, yeah, no, this is a B plus. This is... The work of a good student. And here's what I'm going to say. And I feel totally like I'm bastardizing doing this because to remind you, this is my first Altman. Everything else I know about Robert Altman as a director is purely theoretical and based on what I've heard. But this felt to me like the work of a great director who perhaps wasn't in his peak, not peak form, but peak genre. I'm perched to tear up a new asshole. Keep going. Explain. <laughs> and, and so, it, you know, a lot of what I'd heard about Altman, like you have these scenes where there's a lot going on. You can hear a lot. There's a lot of diegetic sound. Sorry, diegetic sound. You hear a lot of natural stuff going on. You can hear multiple conversations. Some of that I thought was really good. There's a scene in the middle of the movie where... The Hemingway-based uh, drunk writer who the Marlowe character rescues from a mental asylum and the wife who hired Marlowe are talking in their house and they're having a discussion, basically a marital breakdown. And the Marlowe character has agreed to go down to the ocean to give them privacy. But in the background, what we hear are the waves. We hear the ocean during those scenes, even as we also hear the conversation going on. Well, it's late in the movie. It's mid-movie. It's later. It's later than halfway through the movie. It's before the writer character drowns, and there's a lot that comes after that. Oh, sorry. I thought we were talking about when the writer character drowns. No, no. This is before he drowns. When they're talking, it's at night, and the uh, Marlowe character basically says something to the effect of, like, I'll go talk to the waves. 
Oh, right, 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 right. When, when, when they're introduced. Okay, yes. No, that was good foreshadowing on the uh, part of the sound used by Robert Altman. But what were you saying before that? Oh, no, that was, uh, that, I guess, was what I was saying was, I, I appreciated touches like that. Um, and I, I, what I really am saying to justify my B plus is this is a movie that clearly had a lot of care put into it. I was deeply entertained. I found the writing funny and Raymond Chandler's obviously a good writer and Altman. What it is, is Altman is a really good director. And so that comes through, but I don't know that Altman is the greatest fit with this story. I'm going to go ahead and mention something you may have missed. Oh, wait. Grandy, do you have anything to say? (laughs) Nothing comes to mind right now. Nothing at all. All right. You're just going to have the two dogs looking at you. For for those of you who are at home and cannot see, uh, I am going to basically paint a picture with my tongue, as it were. Grandy is sitting in Indian-style position with his hand behind his head like some sort of cosmic... Buddha, and on either side of him is a dog <laughs> with their ears perked up, staring directly into his navel. <laughs> that is all. At any rate, <laughs> the thing I was going to say about this movie is, check it out. Intro scene. Credit scene. Okay, first of all, there's a really cool motif in this movie, which is the idea of changing soundtracks but not changing the songs. Right, which shows the many faces of L.A. that Elliot Gould's character, Philip Marlowe, tends to interact with. Second of all, there's this really cool thing they do in this film where opening scene, we're cross-cutting between two different scenes. Not only are we cross-cutting the visual, we're cross-cutting the sound. We're going back and forth between two different scenes and many different versions of the song The Long Goodbye, which is the title song of the film. And... As time goes on, we get more and more long shots and fewer and fewer cuts. So at the very beginning, right after we have that intro montage scene where we're cutting between Elliot Gould's character, Philip Marlowe, and I don't know who the fuck's character, the husband who kills his wife and skips to Mexico, um, we're getting many cuts in sound and many cuts in vision. Then we go to Philip Marlowe, just in his house, and we get... Some cuts between him and his cat, but not very much. And then we go to the other dude who comes into this house and uh, cuts between him and Elliot Gould in the supermarket buying cat food for his cat. Um, Then the guy comes into his house. Now we've got all long shots all the way just between the talk between him and the other guy. And then they drive each other in a little montage sequence to Mexico. So forth and so on afterwards. The more disoriented and drive, dragged into the plot line that Elliot Gould's character, Philip Marlowe, gets, the more we have these long, disorienting shots. And then as the film goes on further and further, he starts to use zoom in the middle of shots to kind of further disorient the viewer. Altman's a fucking badass. That's what I'm trying to say. This is not a partial work of Altman. This is like full-on zoom takes and full-on transition from cuts to zoom takes and so forth and so on. Basically, cuts being the convention of Hollywood and his little crazy zoom takes and just like long one-shots being more of his maverick style of breaking Hollywood. 
I fully believe Altman's a badass, but like, okay, for example, because let's just be on the record. The one thing I probably liked least about the movie was the multiple versions of the longest goodbye song gimmick. Oh, come on. That was great. <laughs> it, no, it, it was, I found it easy and it wasn't like, yeah, you have the splice from the blues version in the car to the Muzak version in the supermarket. But you probably wouldn't have like noticed six it. times. Yeah, but you wouldn't have noticed it if I hadn't pointed it out each time. <laughs> I did notice it. It happened six times. I'm telling you right yeah, now. Randy may have not noticed six it if times. I didn't point it out every time it was another. It's true, but I think that the simplicity of using that same song in all of its different versions, so many different parts of the movie. It also fit with what he was, was doing. When he's going to Mexico, awesome. it's flamenco style. When he was going to this place, it was, you know. And when he was going style. to the supermarket, supermarket style. Yeah, oh. and when the Italians were pulling up in the car and they were following him, and he turned, tuned the radio after saying, like, Hey, man, just don't want you to miss me. So here's the address I'm going to since you're going to be following me. Okay, so... That was great. I love that scene so no, much. Wait, wait, set I, the scene. Okay, here, here, wait. <laughs> I, I deeply respect this. So, like, I really actually want to get to this. So I respect technique. And I think, you know, the good directors know how to use technique to make a point. But in the case of that, like, wh what's it saying? The different versions of the song. It's saying the many different faces of L.A. that Elliot Gould entangles himself with. There's the version he's listening to and the version that the guy who kills his wife and then comes over to him for help and uses him is, is listening to. And those faces, because uh, the I believe this might not be correct, but I'm pretty sure Elliot Gould's character's viewpoint in the opening scenes, the music stays the same for him, but it changes at least once or the other character. We have a lot of different versions. Of but it doesn't change for Elliot Gould. The version that Elliot Gould's listening to is the same. Are you sure? I mean, Elliot Gould's the one who hears the Muzak version in the supermarket. That's true. It's the uh, it's his friend Terry who hears the blues version in the car. Yeah, he hears the blues version in the car, but he hears a different version in the car from when he's driving there. I'm, I'm just saying, I think for, for Terry, the amount of time we show him on, on screen... We show uh, more changes per that period of time versus the Elliot Gold one who gets fewer changes. Sure, sure. But, I, okay, so what it is at the end of the day is we're still now trying to parse through, like, what it all means. More often than not, when there's a gimmick that I can't peg the meaning, it probably means it's the work of a director who's just being busy. And I know Altman's better than just totally being busy. I designed... But to create a sense of a multifaceted uh, faces of the society that he was going to go deal with. The police, yeah, you, you the hear the same song the, everywhere. Because it's the title of the movie. and it's Right, and I think that was just very... That was the clever thing about that scene. And they didn't really do it throughout the entire movie. They just kind of called back on it every now and then as a little cue reminder. Remember what we did in the opening? Okay, just check it. But I, I remembered, like, I did not need okay, the reminding. You remembered? Think of your average Hollywood audience. Isn't they all going to remember? No, but you and I covered a movie just last week where you were annoyed at the very fact that the movie seemed to regard a Hollywood audience with Field of Dreams. Right, but it, that, it didn't need to. This was like, you're going to do something in the first five minutes that's kind of nuanced, and maybe you might not even notice if you weren't paying attention. 
And then we're going to make sure that if you watch this again, you'll notice. But, I mean, that's fine. But three times would have been something. I'm pretty sure it happened six times. Like, it, it was it the one thing in the bunch movie at the that beginning, and like. then it's just like every now and then they do a musical interlude, and it's a long goodbye. Uh, you guys are film junkies, though. You can't, like, judge a movie based on your slim criteria, at least, or you can. But, but you can't shouldn't. tell people that that's what the movie is. I mean, what about... I entirely like the, agree with that. Everything I'm saying right now, Grandy, I'm and... making up off the top of my head. No, no, Grandy's right. Okay. Like, no, he's look right. At it, look at it from uh, the perspective of somebody who doesn't watch a movie and then dissect it and watches a movie for just its entertainment value. I mean, how do you rate the movie from that standpoint as opposed to how awesome the director is or like the nuances of film. I think, I think the nuances are about the director and what happens and how it's put forth is about the film. Um, I can, I can speak to this, I think. All right. I just had my piece, which was that sentence. (laughs) No, I, I think Rob, I think you as the most passionate defender of the film might have the most to say, but I think I can speak pretty quickly. Hey, I just liked it. It made me feel really good. The guy was jovial. It was hilarious. I, I liked it, too. And I also found him hilarious and jovial. Um, but I think I can speak to what Grandy was saying. But the question I went when we graded it was, how did we like the film, not how good is the film? Um, with me, they're a very, very similar beast. Yes, I know. But for me, I can like a horrible film a whole lot. Well, I know you I like, like the to room. think that you only really like movies that are good, but well, there are some movies that are bad that you must like. You know, a, a popular example, I like The Room, and it's obviously an F movie. I have not seen The Room. I also like Swimming with Sharks, which is obviously a good D+. Plus. But, yeah. I've not seen either of those. I've never heard of The Room. I've never heard of The shark thing you just said swimming with sharks it's a matthew broderick uh has the most horrible boss in the world who's a movie producer uh played by kevin spacey who's just like the most horrible boss ever and then he basically kidnaps him and ties him up in a basement and forces him to endure all the things he's had to endure as an intern but the thing is we see the tying up and locking in the basement early on and then we just have flashbacks to how terrible Kevin Spacey treated <laughs> throughout the film. It's obviously written by someone who was just really pissed off about being turned down as a screenwriter in Hollywood 15 times. Uh, sounds like a solid movie to not watch. Oh, yeah. No, it's horrible. But I like it a lot. All right. So, all right. Can can I get to what Grandy said? Okay. Okay. It's all right. Okay. <laughs> so... Because I'm, like, if I had to defend my point, it is somewhere between the things Rob is saying and the things... Okay, sorry. It's okay. The things Grandy is <laughs> trying saying. trying to give you some inspirational music, but okay. Okay. No, if, if my point lies anywhere, my feeling on the movie lies anywhere, it is exactly between Rob and Grandy's point. Rob raises a good point. This is early Altman. He grew to be one of the greatest directors of our time. 
He was really good at blending ensemble casts, told interesting stories using diegetic sound, like had a style all to his own. And I could see that amount of care put into this movie. And that meant something. At the same time, it's not the greatest plot. And I'm a noir fan. And even as a noir fan, it wasn't the best noir I've ever seen. So maybe we call this, if not substandard, at least a a below average noir with a lot of tender love and care put into it. That's why I give it a B plus because it at least has some ideas and I respect how it was made, but it's not the greatest story you'll ever find in this genre. If you're into this exact kind of story, the Coen brothers improved it immensely with big Lebowski, a much better version of this genre and with some satire to boot. I've not, actually seen the big lebowski you haven't seen the big lebowski no i mean i've heard uh, many amazing things about it but that's one movie that's on my checklist that i've not checked off oh uh, you gotta see it you'll love it you'll love it that was awesome brady hey grandy do you have anything else to say about <laughs> that all right well brady's put forth his opinion but uh to put forth mine What did Brady say? I'm right. You're wrong. What did you say you were right about? Please tell me. I I, no, I don't claim to be right about anything, but I I have my own opinion on the production, and so I thought it existed at in between uh, a story with an abundance of autorial directorial care put in. A lot of efforts, and you know, a lot of the texts were way above the line, and also areas where I thought it wasn't the best noir I've ever seen. And I see Grandy's point on that. That plot-wise, uh, for one thing, uh, I know we talked about this earlier. As far as noirs go, I didn't ever feel any real sense of peril for the Marlowe character. He always seemed to have his head above water, which is interesting in noir where. We get a lot of tension much of the time from the sense that our character really is in danger, is going to die at any point. Marlowe, I thought, was having a laugh at his greatest antagonist all through the movie. In the end, he triumphs. Well, Marlowe feeling like he's his head above water and he's okay is pretty much just something that's consistent through all the Philip Marlowe books and... Yeah, no, that's just how I remember the character of Phil Lamar Lowe. He always has something of his sleeve. You're always like, oh, how's he going to get out of this one? And it's like, does he make it up on his own or, or not? But you never doubt that he's got his head below water. Above. I well, you never doubt that he got his head above water. You never think that he possibly has his head below water. He's fine. He's always fine. But isn't that unique to Noor? No. It's not? No, that's unique to Hollywood. Are Wait, no, no, Hollywood likes uplift. In noir, isn't it unique to have a character who you don't at least, if they don't die at the end, you at least don't think there's a distinct possibility that they might within the story? I think that's just a typical thing of Hollywood storytelling. I mean, yeah, no, there is some of that in noir, but I mean, it's not necessarily portrayed by the actor. The actor always is confident. I mean, like in early noir. Actors always use the confidence just going on to the next step. Oh, this isn't an actor problem. It's a story beat problem. But what I'm saying is, 
early noir, characters always going forward, feeling good, right? Like, it always seems like, as it's portrayed to the audience, that he's got it all figured out, even if he doesn't. Really? I thought and a you're lot always of the time... wondering how, because how tangled the plot gets, you're always wondering, how could he possibly eke this one out? It's not possible. And then he does, and you go, oh, okay. And then, but sometimes the um, the thing about noir that's characteristic is that sometimes the explanation of how he eked it out is unsatisfactory. I kind of feel like where this is uh, actually a book series, which I didn't realize when I watched the movie at first, that it's not as noir, if I understand what that word even means. As much as it is just a detective story, yeah, where, hard-boiled where the hero or the detective is gonna solve a case and he's just gonna do it because at the end there's gonna be another book, right? And and thus, how's it's that really noir? With, it's always the case uh, with Philip Marlowe at all. Uh, well, yeah, just like Sherlock Holmes, he's well, not okay. gonna die at the end. Philip Marlowe is, is well. Philip Marlowe is based upon uh, a series of books, which was also became uh, a series of radio shows, which I think I previously said I had listened to, which are great. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, no, no, he's never gonna die. It's like a fucking franchise. It's a franchise before there were franchises in film. Like, well, I mean, aside from you know serial comics like uh, Flash Gordon or so forth and so on. But a, a feature-length franchise, one of the first of its kind, because most of the franchises in film, where there was going to be a subsequent episode, were all 20 minutes long or 10, 5, something like that. They sound like glorified Hardy Boys. So anyway, we're going to take a little break and play uh, Understudy, which is that game. The theme song will tell you what it is. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors To do the scene from this screenplay But we've got two understudies And to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway So try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y couch This game called Understudy Is happening, happening, happening right now She'll sleep on and off for the next 24 hours. Of course, she'll have a dandy hangover when she wakes up. Just, just as long as she's okay. These cases are harder on the doctor than on the patient. I had to charge you by the mile. Any of that coffee left? Sure. Now, how do you spell her last name? Kubelik, with, with two cats. What's her address? Why Where do does she want- live? Why do you want to know, Doc? You, you, you don't have to report this, do you? It's regulations. She didn't mean it, Doc. She, it, 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 it was an accident. She, she just had a little too much to drink, and she didn't know what she was doing, and there was, there was no suicide note or anything. Believe me, Doc, I'm not thinking about myself. Aren't you? It's, it's just, just, she's got a family, and there are people in the office. Look, Doc, can't you forget you're a doctor? Let's just... They just say you're you're just here a neighbor. <laughs> well, as a doctor, I guess I can't prove it wasn't an accident. But as your neighbor, I'd like to kick your keys to clear around the block. Mind if I cool off? Uh, help yourself. 
I don't know what you did to that girl in there. And don't tell me. But it was bound to happen. The way you carry on, live now, pay later, diners club. Why don't you grow up, Baxter? Be a mensch. You know what that means? Uh, I'm not sure. A mensch. A human being. So you got off easy this time. So you were lucky. Yeah. Wasn't I? But you're not out of the woods yet, Baxter. Because most of them try it again. You know where I am if you need me. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y Couch. Whoever gets four tweets recognizing their voice on understudy, then the other one who lost has to... Oh, wait. Whoever first gets four tweets, then the other person who hasn't gotten that has lost has to go to a women's shoe store, mm-hmm. buy a pair of high heels, Okay. How and walk around. <laughs> as long as they're high heels and not wedges. Marshalls. Okay, go has on. Has to then walk around in them for an hour. They cannot okay. tell the person that they're buying them from or anybody who questions them about why they're doing this. Okay. What, that it that they lost a bet or anything like that. Yeah, the person's going to follow them around and take pictures, <laughs> post them on Facebook, so forth and so on. I'm mostly self-loathing, so I'll agree. But God help me, if more people guess mine than yours, it's going to be forty bucks. Then that'll be, and I I I'll be strangely gratified. I don't think that'll <laughs> <laughs> All right, you so say you agree. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we're going to, we did that scene. And uh, whoever guesses four correct of uh, whoever's, that person wins. And the loser has to go buy a pair of high heels, not telling anybody what they're doing. And, and we'll post a bunch of pictures of it on our, uh, on our Facebook and our Twitter. All right. So, uh, Tweet us your answers to the game. So, what movie are we watching next week? All right. So wait. Yeah. So so it's my turn to pick a movie. I'm just allowed to pick one. Is that what? How? No. It works? We need to pick another one, and we need to agree upon it. Oh. What would you pick if you could pick anything? Um. That goes for you too, Grandy. Uh, pick anything of huh? The movie we have to watch next week. Oh yeah. So I was thinking. Uh, I mentioned Casino earlier. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Classic movie. I'm down. Not seen it yet myself. And uh, All right, from what I understand, it has a lot of high-level actors. At least that came out of that movie. Uh, and it would be interesting to Brady? hear you guys Casino. on a technical level uh, discuss it. Film. How about the x-ray shot where he's... Like I said, I haven't seen it. He hasn't seen it. Seen it. Oh, you haven't seen it? <laughs> yeah, no. Would no. you like to be here next week? I'll come watch it. Will you promise to talk more on the podcast? Maybe I won't even join you on your then podcast. get the fuck out of my living room. <laughs> oh, right now? You live in a garage. <laughs> yeah. I'm already out of your living room. It's true. Get the fuck out of my den. Huh? <laughs> I'm not in your den either. 
<laughs> you just sleep in my car hole. <laughs> <laughs> hey, get out of your garage. Car hole. Mr. Fancy Man with his French accent and his French name in the garage. I call it a car hole. <laughs> uh, Even though I don't put cars in it. Because I have one. I do have one, but I don't put it I don't put it in there. You're just thick enough that I should be able to tell you what to do and you'll Brad, do if it. you want to watch something other than uh casino. I know I think casino's great, but it's no fun unless I propose something. <laughs> All right, something else. So so I'll propose the leopard. No, right, we're going with Casino from Grande. <laughs> hey, I think that Godfather oh, wait, wait. Wait, what's is the another. The, the Leopard is an, an amazing movie from the 1960s by the Italian director. Convince me. It's it's by the Italian director Lucino Visconti. Oh, Visconti. A little what? bit of. You know Visconti? No. Oh, you should. Uh, I should. This but movie's I'm, great. It's yeah, it's great. I've been beaten out in my film majorism by a communications major. <laughs> well, I can't communicate, so we're even. Um, I have beaten you out in communication. Yeah. Enjoy it. It's yeah. Luxury. No, okay. Uh, the leopard. What else? Okay, no, okay, here. <laughs> <laughs> the leopard. What else you get? <laughs> the leopard is one of the most gorgeously shot, made, like produced whatever movies ever, and it's about like I think the like eighteen hundreds in Sicily, when like, or I'm probably getting the year wrong. I apologize, but essentially like the old like noble system in Italy, where like rich families controlled everything, is starting to be replaced by like something closer to democracy. And so it's about this rich family and this like rich patriarch played by Burt Lancaster, an American actor. And essentially he's starting to realize his way of life is dying out and that he has to make a deal with these newfangled democratic folk, even if some of them are idiots, to preserve his family, even as his own way of life dies out. And it's gorgeous. It's got... 40 minutes of the most gorgeous, like, ball scene you'll ever see in your life. And <laughs> you guys are dicks. <laughs> Just fucking dicks. Um, uh, but, but also, <laughs> something that makes it interesting <laughs> is that the scene is actually uh, <laughs> cast with a lot of actual Sicilian noble families. So fuck you all. Let's watch Casino. The <laughs> <laughs> Casino next week. Carnivorous couch. Shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob. <laughs>